Carolyn Rubenstein, PhD, is a licensed psychologist in private practice in Florida, specializing in anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and trauma. She particularly enjoys helping anxious overachievers experience greater ease by finding worth in being, not just doing. She lives in South Florida with her husband and two young kids. I found Carolyn on Instagram earlier this year and have loved following along with all of her incredibly helpful content that not only really resonates with me and my very apt to burnout lifestyle, but I love that all of her posts give very actionable takeaways and they've honestly made my life so much better. She and I get to talk all about anxiety, burnout, perfectionism, and building self-esteem today. And I think you're absolutely going to love this episode. Carolyn, I'm so excited to have you here today. I've just really admired all of your work on Instagram, and it's so fun to meet you in kind of in person here today. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited to be here and just to chat all things, yes. all things being human. Yes. So first, I just want to ask where your interest came in studying psychology and being interested in emotional health and the human mind and all those things. Yeah. So it actually came from an interesting kind of pathway. I grew up going to a camp for children with cancer. I didn't actually have cancer as a child, but my parents' close friends ran a camp called Camp Sunshine in Maine. And it was a getaway for kids who were going through treatment where they had the doctors and everything so their families could go as well. Mm -hmm. I would go with my parents every summer. I was kind of my summer experience. So I grew up with a lot of friends who had cancer as children and would kind of correspond with them in between camp sessions and things like that. Just like when I was really young, I think I started going at six. Like I didn't really even know that there was anything different. They were going through anything different. I didn't understand what cancer was at six. Yeah. It wasn't until I became older that I really started to understand it and actually started losing friends. And that Mm -hmm. became really hard. For me, that started a journey into this passion for helping children going through cancer and then eventually survivors of childhood cancer. And when I was like in college, being able to provide raising money and providing college funds for young adults who had survived cancer so they could go to college. Because I was seeing a lot of people that I was friends with not be able to go to college because of the medical death that they were under and then have to kind of really halt their passions for what they wanted to do. And so I started a college scholarship fund and wrote a book about childhood cancer. And really, that was my life's passion. And I got to college thinking I was going to become a pediatric oncologist, honestly. Um, Really wanted to do that. And what I ended up doing is I spent a lot of time in the hospital Mm. and learned two primary things that were really critical. One, very, very good thing I learned this. I hate blood. I'm not very good around blood. I'm the same. I'm the same. Okay. I, I would not have made a very good doctor MD. Let's just say I probably would not have lasted very long in med school. Yeah. So that was, that was lesson number one. I learned the second lesson I learned in college is that there is so much that goes into the mental health of someone going through a physical illness. Mm. So I learned the power of the mind and really hadn't thought about that until that point and took classes in psychology for the first time, Took did research around pediatric cancer and stress and caregiver stress and all this and became just 
enthralled and fascinated and with mental health, emotional well-being, flourishing amidst adversity and the world of psychology. And it's been just kind of down that pathway ever since. So that kind of was what led me into mental health and the whole field. And that passion has never ended. I'm still just as in love with it. And I think once you find your, what you're passionate about, if you really, it's an endless, it's an endless journey. Yeah. And I see that in everything that you post that you seem very fulfilled and very passionate about this work. Yeah. So that's really cool. So why specifically have you decided to focus on burnout and anxiety and perfectionism? Why are those kind of the key things that you decided to become an expert in? I think I experienced them myself mm -hmm. personally. So I have felt them personally and have, for some reason, been people have gravitated towards me and my client base that have dealt with these issues. Really high performers, people with these traits come to me after experiencing, let's say, burnout or are experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. And when we get to the core of it, tend to see anxiety, perfectionism, and these types of issues underneath it. Yeah. So through kind of noticing where I was gravitating towards what I've been through myself, it kind of just has been a natural evolution of where I focus my energy and where I feel like I have the most impact with others and really just people resonate with me. I resonate with them. And it just has been a really good connection. Yeah, I, I can totally see how if you've experienced that yourself, it would be helpful for you in helping others. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to just start with, because I agree with you where you said that it's almost like the anxiety is underneath the burnout, is underneath the perfectionism or whatever, in, in whatever order. But it feels like for me yeah. personally, if I look back at childhood and look back at where some of my issues started or whatever, I had anxiety at a way younger age than when I finally realized it, which was in college. I didn't even know what that was until I was in college. How do you help people to even recognize that they're having anxiety or what that looks like? I think like looking at like, what is, what are the thoughts? Like, what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. What's going on underneath the surface? And so being able to just check in with someone, because you're right, like a lot of people will come and they won't really even be aware of what is going on, just that something doesn't feel right or they're not performing or functioning like they normally would. Mm -hmm. The first step is always just like, learning how to pause and turn inward and figure out like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's motivating my actions? Right. And if we notice that like fear is a major motivator, there tends to be anxiety there. Mm -hmm. A lot of like fear of the unknown, of lack of control, what if thinking, just a general sense of worry, then we kind of can get to that like underlying layer of that anxiety that most of us tend to have at some level because it is a survival mechanism. Yeah. We need some amount of anxiety to survive. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of us, we're just like, we've turned it up a little. It's like an overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little an overdrive. So like you said, everyone experiences to some degree a level of anxiety. So when people first start experiencing that, what's the best way to begin to deal with that in a healthy way? Just begin to identify it and name it. Be like, this is worry. This is anxiety. This is fear. This is worry. Whatever. Some people will give it an, a different name so it's not like pathologized. Mm -hmm. Some people give it like, oh, this is like Tim. Or like, they'll just come <laughs> up with a name. Yeah. Or this is my little worry. Like kids, like, this is my little worry mm -hmm. bunny or something. And kind of 
we'll give it a cute little name. And so you just give it a label, label it. We call name it to tame it. Once you begin to name it, you identify it, you create a little bit of separation between you and the feeling. You're able to kind of look at the feeling versus just act from it. Okay. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, it sounds really simple and it is simple, but once you actually do it, you're really empowered because you're able to see like, this is a feeling. This is not me as a person. Okay. This is a feeling and I can notice it. It can be there. And it's telling me to maybe avoid this or to worry about all of these things in the future. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't have to. I get to make a choice. I get to bring in logic here. I get to bring in like all this other information as well. Right. Okay. So after you've identified it, then what comes next? So identify it. And then you get to like really begin to accept it. So rather than like identified it, now you want to throw it in the garbage because that's what most people like. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like, okay, I identified it. Now I want away. Get it Mm -hmm. out of my life. Instead, I want that's not easy. So instead, it's almost like anxiety typically is in the driver's seat of your car. And so it's driving you around. It's telling you where to go. Instead, you know, so now we're instead of saying, you know, hi to the driver, we've named it. I want you to take that driver and put it in the backseat. Mm-hmm. You're going to take back control. You're going to be in charge of where you're going. Okay. So the driver is that person that anxiety is still there, but it's in the backseat. Mm-hmm. If it's especially loud, like a toddler, we're going to strap it into the car seat <laughs> and it's going to scream there. But it is not going to drive the car, right? Okay. It's not driving the car anymore. So it might be telling you what to do. But you don't always have to listen to it. Often what happens is once you identify it and you start to kind of move it around and base your actions on what you decide to do based on lots of other factors, anxiety is one factor, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. There's so many other pieces that you want to make decisions based on. And that's really based on the individual and what's important to you. What are your values? How do you make decisions? Emotions are one piece, but you don't want your decisions to be purely emotion-based because we'd all be just kind of eating ice cream all day and laying in bed and whatever. So you want them, you want that to be one piece of the puzzle, but not the whole piece. So put that Put the anxiety in the back seat, put yourself in the driver's seat. You kind of decide where you want to go, what you want to do. As you start to take action, not purely dictated by the anxiety, it starts to get quieter. It mm-hmm. doesn't get as loud anymore. And so it will go from this like fire alarm to almost like background white noise. Mm-hmm. But that takes a lot of repeated action. Yeah. And it takes practice and you have to be patient. But it works. It's really like sleep training in many ways. If you do it repeatedly, you do it with consistency, it works. And it just, it does take time though. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting to me listening to you talk through these steps, how similar they are to all of the processes that my husband has talked about with overcoming addiction, because they're the same steps of like identify it. And then instead of trying to like get rid of it, pretend it doesn't exist. Right. You surf the urges, right? You have the urge surfing, like you recognize the urge exists mm-hmm. or whatever the emotion is and you surf the waves. Yeah. They exist. Yeah. Not, you can't just say they're gone. Right. They still exist. Right. And learning to live with it. That was such a huge game changer for us in our life to be like, oh, this is going to be a part of our life for the rest of our mm-hmm. lives. So going to a meeting every week and dealing with it proactively instead of just like trying to figure out a way to pretend it's not a part of our life was so much more productive. Anyway, I did have a question though about as you're talking about this and just thinking back 
to myself and then also thinking about my kids. How does a mom, because you're a mom, how does a mom recognize this in their kids and how do you help them when you see them probably showing signs of anxiety? With kids, we'll often notice it a lot with physical. Like you'll often hear a child complain of like their stomach hurts or their head hurts or they're a little extra tired. Mm. And as a mom, you're kind of like, well, what's going on? Like you're not sick. Like, and this is it. And it's, oh, it's the morning of the first day of like a new class or something new at school. You kind of begin to look at with kids, usually there's not all the time, but there can be like a physical symptom and you'll hear like a lot of kids will go to the nurse at school and things and there's not really anything going on. You want to look around like what what else is going on outside of the physical thing rather than getting hyper-focused on that and be like, let's talk also like totally get that your belly is upset, but what what else is going on today? Like let's talk about the other things that are going on and like allow your child to talk through the other things without like pretending that it's not an issue. Like, oh, that's not a big deal. You'll, you'll get through mm-hmm. it. No, it's, it, that feels scary. I get, I get nervous too before meeting someone new. Change can be really hard. Just like start to talk about what's going on outside of it. And then what you'll notice usually is like the stomach thing or whatever usually just goes away. Like that, they don't even remember yeah. once they start talking about the thing because they start to feel a little bit better and they're not focused on something that they feel like they can control and name because kids have a hard time if they can't name what's going on yeah. of like, they'll be like, oh, my stomach hurts. That's something they can name and you can, a mom can feel like, okay, I have a solution to that. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what to do. So it's about control. And so like, it's just kind of getting creative and using other words and language of how to talk about these things. And you want to talk about it in whatever words that your child uses. So a lot of schools now do talk about emotions in different ways. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say to like do one specific thing because I know a lot of schools will say like they will have words for things and they'll talk about it differently. So anxiety might be, they might call it a color, like, oh, you're feeling this color today. Mm -hmm. Figure out if your school is talking about it or if they go to religious schools, if they are talking about emotions in some way and use that same language and start to incorporate it when there's no problem. And you can even model yourself like, oh, mommy's feeling a little like mommy's feeling a little green today. And like, this is what happened. And model how we talk about this in, in ways that makes it safe to do so, because it can be really helpful for kids to learn how to do it before that big first day or something new is coming up. And language, communicate, communicate, just talk, talk, talk. I think talking is the biggest thing rather than ignoring it because we're not sure what to say or how to say the right thing. There's no right thing to say when it comes to emotions. It's just being willing to open up the conversation, open up the door for those conversations at at a young age, because the younger you start, the more normalized it is. Yeah, that is beautiful advice because I feel like a lot of times my kids have done that where they say they're sick and they want to stay home from school and then yeah. they're home for 15 yeah. minutes and I'm like, you don't seem sick. What's going on? Right. You don't You don't seem so yeah. sick. Like what? Yeah. Yeah, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Okay, so let's shift back into like where a lot of the women probably, I mean, we have some men who listen to this podcast, but a lot of women who listen to this who are probably in a similar situation as you or me with like the burnout and anxiety and how one leads to another or perfectionism as a woman. And, you know, if you're a mom or if you're working or if you're working in the home or whatever, how does, how do you see these things manifest themselves? 
Yeah, I think what happens usually, especially when perfectionism, anything is going on, on, that the focus becomes really external, right? We're looking so much outside of ourselves Mm. or worrying about things that are outside of us. So we're worrying about our children or the household or work or all these responsibilities we don't really begin to look internally at what's going on with us and how we are actually doing emotionally and physically. Once that balance is so off-kiltered where you're really just looking outside of you so much, it's really easy to lose track of how you're doing. And if you are experiencing signs of burnout, if you're feeling that sense of just emotional exhaustion, feeling cynical or detached, feeling like just a decreased sense of like anything that you do matters. Mm. It's hard to notice because you're so laser focused on everything outside of you. And it wasn't until I honestly became pregnant that I began to realize myself how much I was externally focused because that was really the first time where I had to become like more had to check in with myself physically and emotionally because it wasn't, it almost gave me like a reason to do it Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, it's not really for me here. (laughs) Like I'm going to use the baby as an excuse of like, all right, how am I doing? Because I have to keep myself like, just try to keep myself as calm as possible and like deal with these stressors while maintaining a calm state. And it was really the first time where I'm like, whoa, okay, not so common. I'm not really that calm inside. And I had to learn how to begin to regulate that. And I think it's really easy for a normal day-to-day to to become really disconnected from our internal selves. And that's where where burnout happens because we, we don't even see it coming. And burnout is not like one day you wake up and you're burnt out or right. it's an explosion. It's it's a slow leak that's occurring. Yeah, that that makes totally makes sense. So, I know you've shared this sometimes on your Instagram. I've seen a few posts about this, but how can you recognize within yourself that you are experiencing burnout or you're on that path? Like you're you're on your way to burnout. Yeah, there's and I wouldn't have known this unless I went through full-blown burnout. So you don't have to have, I'm going to kind of go through three main parts. You don't have to have all three of these. Okay. And I would recommend you not. <laughs> it's not very not fun. fun. <laughs> uh, not fun. So like if you're feeling one to like an extreme, because there's a continuum for all of these, if you're feeling one to an extreme, like that's when you need to start to like be like, okay, I need to kind of reset. And we can talk about how that works of like how you begin to refuel but it's emotional exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So you're you're tired. Not the tired that a good night's sleep will kind of make you feel better. But you are bone tired. You're tired. You have insomnia. You're just feeling drained and depleted. Mm-hmm. Then there's that cynicism and detachment where you're just pretty cynical about life mm-hmm. um, and pretty isolated from people unless you really need them for something or you're taking care of your a child or something, you're, you're attached in, in ways, but not really emotionally attached. So you're pretty detached from others and from yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the third part is you have a decreased sense of accomplishment. So you feel like nothing you're doing really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And you really feel like there's no end in sight. Yeah. So it's like you just you're on this rabbit wheel, you just keep going and it's a hamster wheel. You just keep going and going and going and nothing's making a difference. You could be working nonstop or doing whatever you're doing nonstop. And nothing, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. You're staying in place. Having all three of those is not enjoyable, but you can have degrees of it. And it's important to notice like, and to notice kind of what your signs are for yourself. So if it's 
noticing like I haven't spoken to a friend in a few weeks. For me, that's really not a good sign. Yeah. Noticing what those tells are for you that like are that tend to happen when you're pretty like begin to edge towards that place. Mm. Just so you kind of have a list for yourself and can be like, these are some things to look out for because they're personal to me and are when I start to like edge away from doing them, I start to become disconnected from myself and my why of of why I'm kind of doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So if I'm sure there are people listening to this going, oh man, that's me right now. <laughs> so then what do you do? Yeah, right. That's, that's like the million dollar question. Yeah. I feel like I, I hear this in my office every day. Like, okay, that's me. What do I do? <laughs> and it's okay. There's a lot of hope. And I think the first thing I try to tell people is like, you don't have to radically change your life right now. So people will often think like, I need to like quit my job. I need to go away from my children for a month and like just completely run like away. Like in a desert rehab for an extended yes, period of time. Like, like gone girl. I need to leave. Like this is it. I need to run away. Or I need to change everything about my life. I need to move. I need to make a drastic change or nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to put the brakes on that first. It doesn't mean nothing has to change, but let's let's take a beat for a moment. And again, kind of check in with ourselves. So the first changes that you want to really do and look at are internally. Mm. So you want to look at like, okay, what is draining me? What are the things that really deplete me and leave me feeling exhausted? A lot of times we don't have control over a lot of things that are depleting us, but sometimes there is a little bit of control. For example, like when you do it, how often you do it, if there's any support related to what you're doing, that's really depleting you. Mm. And you really want to hone in on what those things are that drain you. And don't feel shame if there are things that are draining you that you wish didn't drain you, like spending time with my kids, like quiet time. Sometimes it's not the most fueling for people if they're kind of on edge. So kind of just note what those things are and then note what things kind of fuel you, what things leave you feeling a sense of like calm. It's not energized like you have this high, but just like a sense of, just stable, calm, neutrality, where you feel good, you feel like you're in flow, like a good sense of peace. What are those things that fuel you? And you want to look at your calendar, like start to look at a a few days and notice like, okay, if I look at these items that drain me and fuel me, like, and I look at my schedule, what do my days look like? And you might notice like they're Mm. completely depleting and all draining. And the key there is to really start to insert fueling things into your day, even in two-minute increments. Mm. It gives you a sense of control back. So like just having any sense of control, like starting with one to three things in your day can be a huge game changer in giving you back a sense of control because burnout makes you feel like you're powerless and like everything outside of you is running your life yes. but you. It gives you back that sense of control. But in order to do any of that, the internal focus is really critical. You've got to be able to check in with yourself and, and know what fuels you or drains you because if you have, don't have that connection to yourself, you won't know. So you have to be able to pause and just check in and be like, all right, how am I doing? And for a lot of people, that's setting a timer on their watch or their clock and check in three times a day. And maybe it's a color or one to 10. Like, how are you feeling? Just get in the practice of checking in with yourself and start there because that can be a really good thing just to begin the practice of staying connected to you. Yeah, I love and that. And I feel like I totally rambled. No, no, no. So you, you didn't you bring me back to reality. You didn't ramble at all. It was, that was so helpful. <laughs> 
When I start my day with my daily routine, everything goes so much better. It's like it has to start with that beginning. And then if I have a kid wakes up super early or something pops up and then I get taken away from that routine, those are the days that I feel most out of control or that like one thing after another is eating up my time. Identifying it with what you're saying, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And I think it's like learning on those days, especially because every day is so different. Mm -hmm. And I think we plan for these days where we know like the morning we have those anchors or those routines that are just so grounding. But on those days where they don't happen, like what kind of having backup plans, Mm -hmm. like a plan, like another plan for when those things don't happen exactly when the kid does wake up in the middle of the night five times and you're so tired. And it's like, okay, on those days, like this is kind of a mini routine that I can insert for myself. And it's like a reset mentality Mm -hmm. of like, okay, this is my five minutes where like I go in my closet, I do this for five minutes. And just for me, it's a, a, a mini version of my routine when everything is kind of chaotic. And it kind of gives me that moment to be like, okay, from this moment, I'm kind of restarting. And it's just a mental shift that can be really powerful. I love that. So I also wanted to ask about self-care because I've seen you talk about that and it's also such a like buzz term and it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to kind of for me to sit back and observe different people discussing that over the last few years when that's become and maybe it's just in my head but it seems like it's become ultra popular like since the pandemic began and and in the last few years and I feel like some people want to say like no, a bubble bath is not self-care or this or that is not self-care. And then other people want to say, no, like these things are all self-care. So are there effective practices in self-care and are there things that are going to be better than others or is it just totally individual? Both. So both and all of that. (laughs) I think what happens though is it's very based on the individual, but also checking in with yourself Mm -hmm. and in the moment. So some days, for example, myself, a bubble bath might be exactly what I need because it's usually self-care is very sense-based because it's going into your senses, Mm. right? So it can be like the smell or your skin, the touch, just being able to relax and soothe your body. But some days it might be that calming my body down like in that way isn't what I'm needing. And so it's like checking in maybe after five minutes and noticing like, no, I'm, my anxiety is increasing doing this. Like I'm not feeling very good doing this. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that because sometimes I'll get a massage and like, (laughs) and you're like, like, no, all the things are just turning in my head, all the stuff I should be doing right now. And I'm, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I cannot relax while I'm getting a massage. uh, No, I'm like that too. Cause it's almost like you're trapped yes. there too. And you're like, I can't move. And yeah. now I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think checking, that's the key for self-care. Okay. It's like, if you don't check in with yourself, so you're just like, it's like a check mark, but if you don't check in with yourself. You're like, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. And if it's like, I'm not doing very well. So I'm going to change it up a little. And it might be like the bubble bath. And I've done this like on Instagram sometimes in my stories where I'll like actually do that where I'm like, I'm completely depleted. I'm going to try this. And then after 15 minutes, I'm like, that didn't work. Now I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, okay, I feel so much better. So like the bubble bath doesn't work. Maybe it's like I need to like stretch my body. Like mm-hmm. I need to like actually like move in some way or try something else. But don't get frustrated when one or two things aren't really helping. It's figuring out in that moment what those things are and like creating like a menu for yourself of things that are available for you to do. If it's a bubble bath, if it's stretching, if it is like your favorite candle, if it's a lotion, if it's a playlist, like having some things that touch on different, you know, items, if it's tea, different types of tea, because 
you know, sipping warm water kind of forces you to slow down, forces you to take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. It's really good kind of multifaceted self. So it's not just about this idea that that's a, a cute little way to take care of yourself, but there are reasons why that is so helpful. Yeah. So it's like kind of creating a menu of things for yourself because when you need to take those moments for self-care or self-soothing, you're usually not at your best, mm. feeling your best. Right. And you usually are a little crunched for time. By the time you think of something, it's like, well, now my time's over. Yeah. So having like a little list on your phone of like some ideas that you can kind of just go to and be like, you know what? That sounds, I have like 15 things and that one sounds perfect right now. I'm going to try that one right now and see how it works. And if that one doesn't feel really good, go to a different one and see how you feel, but have it really easily accessible for yeah. you. Make it easy. I love that idea. So you said stretching your body. We covered the bubble bath. Are there other like favorite things that you like to suggest when people are like, I have no idea where to start? Eddie, I go definitely go through your senses. Okay. And so for some people, it is like they're very touch, like it's touch. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like a, f- a specific type of fuzzy blanket or a different a texture. Everyone is so different. So we would go through like what it is of might be a pet, like petting an animal, mm-hmm. like you're animal. It might be holding your own hand, you know, and listening to music or taking some deep breaths. It might be if it is like grounding yourself, like on the floor and doing some yoga poses. There are different things you can do if it's like, for example, touch, if it's smell, you know, if it's like the aroma of cinnamon boiling, if it is a can, especially candle you love, if it is literally just going outside and smelling, you know, after it's rained or something like that. Just whatever it is that you kind of gives you that sense of peace and calm. And it's going to be different at different points. So having that list for yourself. And I could say one thing and, so I, and someone would be like a bubble bath would literally be the last thing on my list. So, yeah. you know, someone might say that. So it's really important to be able to differentiate what it is in terms of in terms of what you want and what feels good for you. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like my sister has done an Ironman. She loves running. She's done. She's, she's like, she's extreme. That sounds awful to me. That sounds awful to me too. Like going on a run is the absolute last thing. Like I love a walk. I I like a walk too. Like we have this beautiful beach trail that I love to go on, but literally a run sounds like the, it would be at the very bottom of my list and it would probably be the top three on hers. So I, I can totally understand that. But then we both yeah. share the love for like cooking or baking. And so that would be something that would be like life-giving to me that I think probably also would be for her where other people yeah. might be like, I hate to cook. That sounds awful. Yeah. So yeah. And during like, I recently became obsessed with like, wrapping gifts and I just started wrapping oh. brands on books and things because I just, it is so soothing. I never knew, wow. never knew how soothing it was to wrap. So I just started watching YouTube videos and learning all of the most fascinating ways to wrap gifts. Oh my gosh. And now I'll just wrap random things. I love for that. Fun. I love that. And putting <laughs> on makeup for me is that way too. It's like yeah. trying out different colors and different textures yeah. and different methods of whatever. Yeah, it's fun for me. And I know that that's not for everyone, but this is interesting to think yeah. about how it just is completely individual, whatever. It's completely. I know I have like on, on Instagram, I, I'm going to at any moment, like this free guide of like, it's like, I think 15 pages I put together mm. of like all these self-care items of like every item we can think of for all the senses. Okay. It's taking me quite a bit of time. So definitely look out for that because it is, it was, 
I kind of created it for myself, honestly, um, to be able to print out and just like have for myself so that I have it available. And I can on those days where like nothing seems to be working, have some new unique ideas to have available. That sounds wonderful. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. And then right after I'm done with this, I'm going to go download it myself too, because that sounds so great. I know, right? (laughs) Seriously. Okay, so now I would love to ask about perfectionism because you talk a lot about that too. So maybe recognizing signs of that because that seems to be like one of the like silent deadly killers that people maybe don't even recognize in themselves until it's really damaging. Yeah, so perfectionism is really like you're externally motivated. You're motivated by these external metrics and things that are outside of you and especially phrase, acknowledgments, mm-hmm. reinforcement, and ideals that are external to you. They're not your own. So there are these ideals or kind of images in your head of the way things should be. So it's a lot of shoulds. It's a lot of these ideas of what you're kind of wanting to get to, but there really is no perfect. Like there is no way for any of us to be perfect or do anything. There's always a way that we can make it better or change it or improve it. And so what happens is when we have this idea in our head, it makes us really feel almost intimidated to even approach anything. Mm -hmm. It can create a sense of like paralysis, avoidance, And stepping back from our lives because we're scared of these expectations that we place on ourselves because they're so big. And I think it kind of begins in childhood with school where you can get an A plus or 100. Mm -hmm. And it's great and you get a sticker and you get acknowledgement from your parents and it feels so good. But then you get to the real world and there is no A pluses or stickers anymore. And there are no like you did this perfectly moments. So we kind of have this idea in our head that there is that. Like tell me I'm good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And no one is. And so it doesn't feel it's kind of like setting up for yourself like what is good enough Mm. and what is like what it is that you're going for and what is the feeling more so than the metric or the standard? What is the value that is important here? What is the why versus the what that you're kind of going for? Really getting to that because the the thing with perfectionism is there's no there's no joy. There's it's just pain. The process is painful. And then you if you get to this point of perceived success, there's there's no finish line. There's no end point. It just keeps going and going. And so you're never really happy. And you get stuck in it. And that's where you get stuck and stuck and stuck. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm going towards anymore. So you feel lost. So someone who's really unsure of like, what am I using as my goalpost here? Like, what am I going towards? And if it is all outside of you and nothing is internally motivated, there's a good chance that perfectionism is at play. And if it is, you could just get to redefine for yourself like, Okay, what is the why? What what is the goal here? What's my motivation? Right. And is the motivation to pursue this value for myself, this purpose? It's what makes lights me up, brings me joy, or something else. Like figuring out what the why is and making sure that that's crystal clear and the motivation along the journey. And doesn't mean the journey is not going to be full of sweat and going to be really hard at times, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be have this anchor from within you that's that's pulling you forward rather than some lofty external thing that really is nowhere to be found. Right. And I feel like something that I've figured out for myself and that I 
try to teach people, whether that's like in a church setting or in a speaking or whatever, is that just like you're saying with external, that's never going to be enough. But if you have like a higher power, whether that's God for you or the universe or something that is telling you consistently that you are completely already enough and that you're okay, that that's going to be a lot, a really lasting, fulfilling source of validation rather than looking around for other people or other things to tell you. So that's worked well for me, but it's interesting that you're saying that the perfectionism is tied so much to the external. I've, I don't think I've ever thought of it in that way before. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it can feel so internal and we can feel like we're in control of it and we're writing these things down and we're setting them, but it's more of like, that's how we're making it more personal, but it's, it stops there. Mm. It's not, it's not coming from within. It's really coming from something outside of us. That's, that's not really achievable at the end of the day. Yeah. That's really interesting. So one other thing I really wanted to ask you about that I love that you talk about is creating really healthy self-esteem and building self-confidence. And Mm -hmm. I worry about that with my own kids. I worry about that with like the teenagers that I work with and in my church setting and even with myself and other moms and people that I interact with, but I guess especially the younger people that I just worry about that a lot. The, so it's so hard. Yeah, I know. And like I know. when they've got these literal, I mean, talk about like having a ranking or people telling you you're good enough. Oh. I did not like probably you as well. We were not teenagers yeah. with devices in our hands all day that were telling us that we got enough likes or comments or whatever's. I know. And my kids are still young enough where they're not like, uh, and I'm, I'm scared. Yep. I'm like, I'm in denial. Yep. <laughs> I'm in denial. I'm like, it, it will go away by then. It will somehow go away. <laughs> that would away. be nice. Yeah. It'll be nice, right? It is scary. And it's, and I'm seeing it in, in popular, not even in how we feel having this, but we didn't grow up with this. Yeah. And as part of like forming our identity, I do think there has to be like really important important conversations around that with parents and not letting kids kind of run the show when it comes to that. Because I think it can be very toxic, letting likes and comments and like cancel culture and all of this really, really ruin kids' identities from a young age and cyberbullying. And I think a lot of parents will try to ignore that it exists and ignore the realities and not become informed enough mm-hmm. where they put in controls in place. But it is something that we need to become as parents much more controlled about, just like we are with like driving a car. Like we know what age kids can drive. Yeah. We know that we have to be involved in that process. And it's the same thing with even more so with social media and being involved and setting those expectations and limits from an early age mm-hmm. because it is kids' brains do not have the ability to, ours barely do, right. to manage all of this unknown likes and all these metrics and things in terms of it. So I am very worried about it and what it will be like for kids growing up. And I don't think we know yet what the impact is going to be, like how powerful it is. I think we're getting a taste of it. But it's scary. And so I think with anything that's scary and unknown, rather than stepping away, I'm a big believer in like stepping forward and making it, not avoiding it, not ignoring the reality of it, but being involved, Mm -hmm. being involved and communicating and talking more so than anything as early as possible, because it's, it's something that it's going to impact the kids. And it's something that we need to talk about, have limits around and 
just be able to communicate through together. Right. What do you think as a parent or even like if you are mentoring or helping teenagers is one of like, what are some things that we can do to help reinforce like positive self-esteem or self-confidence? Yeah, I think emphasizing that social media is one source of information, Mm -hmm. reinforcing and emphasizing all of the aspects that make you an individual. And if social media is a part of that, like it cannot be your whole identity. Social media does not define you. And I don't think if we ask any kid like, oh, what what makes you you? Someone's going to say, my Instagram likes, like, I, I don't, <laughs> hopefully, maybe they would, that's scary. But if that is, we need to expand their conception yeah. and their definition of themselves and help them to do so from an early age, that there's a lot of parts of you. And this part might be a part that's harder to navigate, but it's a small, it's one part of a big puzzle, yeah. right? There's a lot of aspects of you to take off the focus on just one aspect, but really make sure there's a lot of other elements that are part of that person's identity. Because just with anything, if one thing is your whole identity, it has way too much power. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And probably also just relating to the perfectionism that we talked about too. I I feel like whenever I can relate with whoever I'm talking yeah. to, then they don't feel like I'm like lecturing them, but I'm understanding no. where they're coming from. Yes, yeah. totally. That you totally connect, you totally get it. And yeah, when something gets less likes, it feels icky. And that's it. Just a feeling. It's temporary. Yeah. And it really has nothing to do with you. And, and you get that. You get the logical part of it. But the emotional part, like you can totally relate to. Yeah. It doesn't feel very good. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, I have learned so much and enjoyed this oh conversation so much. Me too. Really, me too. I could talk forever about this stuff. It's so fun. I love it. And not, I, I wish it were more fun, the social media stuff. That does scare me. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, but I mean, you just are such a wealth of knowledge. And there are so many really, really... I love that you give very actionable takeaway things. And every time I see your posts, I'm like, oh, what am I going to learn now? Because everything oh, that you share so is... Yeah, it's not just like some psychological like theory that's like, well, that's nice, but how does that apply to me? But you really help people apply yeah. things to their own lives. And I appreciate that a lot. So I have, uh, that's so Thank you're you. welcome. So I have one last question for you. And that is if there's one message that you want the person listening to this to remember, what do you want that one message to be? To start opening doors rather than closing them and walking in when things get hard rather than walking out. Mm is my message. I think we walk out of hard situations far more than we kind of walk towards an approach. And that's not just for others. It's also for ourselves. So kind of that same idea of like turning in when things get hard rather than detaching and isolating ourselves. I love that. That's so powerful. Well, where can people find you, Carolyn, if they loved this and they want to learn more from you? I think I like live on Instagram that really connects to my idea of a social media there, right? Um, at Carolyn Rubenstein PhD or my website, which is just my name, Carolyn Okay, Rubenstein. wonderful. And we'll put those in the show notes too. So thank you thank so much you. for today. Thank yeah. you. It was so yeah, nice to so meet nice you to meet virtually. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,